Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, April 19th, and I'm your host, Matt Frankel. And on today's financial show, we have a great interview lined up for you. You know Robert Herjavec from Shark Tank, and you also know Daniel Lubitsky as a guest shark in this current season, as well as the founder of Kind. Uh, recently, I got a chance to sit down with these two, um, two of my favorite investors, and ask them a few, a bunch of questions about what happens behind the scenes of Shark Tank, and just kind of general advice for entrepreneurs that you don't want to miss. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. So you guys recently made an interesting investment together. Um, I want to ask you about teaming up with other sharks in a second, but can you kind of give us a, a quick overview of what the company is you invested in and what what attracted you to it? Robert, do you want to go? Uh, you go, Daniel. So Tandem is a family-owned enterprise. What attracted me is... It's a mother, father, and three daughters that came together to uh, run a business that I think the business has a lot of potential, but it's also just the way they run it. Like they want to be together and work together. And the whole concept of tandem is helping people that might not be comfortable going on the surfboards by themselves. So they built uh, technology and a system so that you can go together with somebody else. I've seen my kids sometimes when they're going to go surfboarding or stuff, that it's it's a really cool experience to be able to have an adult helping them out or to have a couple together and it's just all about sharing and being together and it's a got very neat vibes and very uh, the family have built other businesses before so uh, i think robert and i appropriately part yeah, no no i no i i think everything daniel said is really true i've done you know, Matt, I've invested in a number of family-run businesses over the years. I always think of ham boards, which were basically surfboards for the street. And it was run by a, uh, a father, mother, and these five gorgeous California-looking surf sons. And it's true to what they are. And I love companies where the brand represents at the soul of what they are. And that's what this family is. As Daniel said, they're about sharing, they're about working together. And so I've done well with families and I like the product. It's fun. It's cool. And it was fun to try out. Very cool. Um, so you've made a lot of investments on Shark Tank, Robert, especially um, a lot of which you've made solo. Some you've made with other sharks. Some I've even seen you turn down other sharks who want to get in on investments with you. Um, not mentioning any names here. Barbara. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) So what are the, the kind of, what are the advantages and disadvantages to investing with another shark? In other words, why didn't you say, no, Daniel, I want this one myself or no, Robert, this one's mine or something like that. You know, Matt, I think that one of the things about the show is we get the pleasure of working with great, uh, guest sharks like Daniel or, or any of the other sharks. And, Everybody has a different skill set. You know, I think that one of the reasons our show works is we're all very unique. We have different backgrounds, but I think there's a commonality of respect for each other. And if somebody wants to come in on my investment and they can add value, I'm happy to do it. 
you know, and, and it's fun. I mean, it's, it's always fun to take a journey together with somebody and especially when it's successful that way. Um, sometimes though, the great thing about Shark Tank is, you know, you sit there and you see a product and you're like, yeah, it's nice. The other shark wants to do it. Yeah. I like him or her. Let's do it. And then every now and then you see a deal and you're like, oh yeah, baby, this is the one and all the friendliness. And I like the other person it's out the window and I don't give a beep. I want that deal. And then somebody will say, oh, I like it too. I want to come in. I'm like, uh-uh, there isn't enough gold in this town for the two of us. But in general, I think we like each other and we respect the value that we bring. I, I think in this particular deal, if I recall correctly, I liked the family and I knew that I could help them on the technology front with Amazon and with digital sales and stuff but I've never been in the sports space, in the water sports space. And I knew Robert had a lot of experience. So I said to the family, I would only really feel comfortable if we could like induce Robert to come on board. Uh, Robert could have probably done this deal without me. I don't think I would have felt comfortable doing this deal without him because I just felt that I don't have enough of a pattern recognition and experience in that industry. So I like Robert sometimes when people, when it's a CPG company or a food company or health and wellness company, for me, the bar to partner with somebody is very high because I feel like I can probably do that mm. on my own. But there's many right. companies where I like the entrepreneur, but I like Laurie might understand this piece better or Robert might understand that piece better. And the only thing I would say for entrepreneurs also, it's not always the case that having two sharks is better than one. You really need to make sure that's the right alignment and that the chefs can commit because um, this is a new deal for Robert and I, and I think we're going to have an amazing time. And I, Robert and I have a, a very fun relationship beyond Shark Tank. So I think I'm excited about this with Robert. But in some other deals that I've done, sometimes the dynamic ends up being that each shark is waiting for the other one to lead. And I, sometimes it's important if one shark is really passionate about it, it's okay to have one shark doubly passionate than two sharks mediocrely passionate. You know, I think Daniel said that really well, Matt. And that's one of the things that we've seen. It's one of the common mistakes that new entrepreneurs make is they tend to partner with people they like. You know, there's the saying, oh, I wouldn't partner with anybody that wouldn't sit on a long airplane flight with. And, you know, I always try to tell people in business, it's about skill sets. And a great team is not necessarily a bunch of people that like each other. It's a bunch of people that respect each other's uh, strengths. And so I'd rather have people on my team that can compliment me than somebody I want to have dinner with. That's what friends are for. And that's one of the common things I, I hear from my friends that are starting businesses. are like, oh, we're a great partnership and we get along really well and we're all great. And I'm like, well, you're an accountant and he's an accountant. Who's the sales guy or who's the salesperson? And so I think it's the same with the Sharks. So I want to get to what happens after the show in a little bit. But first off, when you're evaluating a pitch on the show, or obviously the pitch is longer than the little, little bit that we see on TV. But so what are some of the things that stand out to you when people are making a pitch? And what are some of the immediate turnoffs that you see when people are pitching you a, an investment? 
Matt, I think the most important thing to say before Robert addresses your questions, people need to understand that this is a very real show. People don't believe it, that it really is our money and that we don't know anything before those entrepreneurs show up. Everybody believes that we actually get some brief. We really don't. And it is very, very hard because you're with opinionated sharks that are asking a thousand miles a minute. And I tend to be a person with presence and I don't get easily... You're there in this big stage and Robert and everybody's jumping with questions and it is, you you have to really be on your toes listening for all those patterns because you might miss a thing. And there really is, it's very exciting. It's very stimulating because you need to understand, you need to get at the personality of the people and their values and their integrity and the competitive landscape. And you're right. The ultimate edited thing is 11 minutes or 12. The interviews actually last people are in the tank in real life, maybe 30 to 45 minutes on average, but it's not enough for making these things. That's part of the excitement and the game. And, and it's hard. You really need to look for signals in between the lines of like, is this person a loyal person? Do they have a hard work ethic? Do they have a, the right brain power and determine their personalities and the competitive landscape? It's not easy. You know, if you can handle the pressure of Shark Tank, you can handle anything. And as Daniel says, even my friends, I mean, I've been in the show for 12 years, even my friends to this day, to Daniel's point, like, oh, come on, it's not really your own money. Oh, and you must get a whole dossier of information on people. And I'm like, no, they just show up. And I'm like, ah, come on, it's just us. You can tell me the truth. And I'm like, no, that's what it is. But, you know, there, my general view, I used to, sometimes feel bad for people. They come out, they get a little flustered, but you know, at the end of the day, that's life. I mean, you don't always get to choose your timing and you don't get to choose your cadence. And so, yeah, you may have a pitch and you may want to go this way. And then Daniel is going to ask you a question completely unrelated to where your pitch is going. And then Kevin's going to cut off Daniel and Laura, you got to respond. And I think that is the beauty of it is because that's life. Life is unpredictable. Life is all over the net, all over the map. Life zigs and zags. So for me, what I look for is I look for people that are highly resourceful and adaptable because anybody can work a plan, but plans can change every single day. And I think that's the beauty of Shark Tank. And then, you know, I think the other thing is I, I tend to look for people that have a high level of integrity as to why they're doing the business. I mean, yes, we all want to make money. I want to make money. Daniel make, wants to make money. But I want people who have a greater purpose than making money. Because I think if that's your only goal in starting the business just to get a paycheck, you know, what happens when you get there and what happens when something goes bad and somebody offers you a bigger paycheck? You know, I try, I try to look for people that have an integrity as to the purity of why they're in that business. Okay. So beyond the pitches, there's obviously a lot that happens afterwards. Cause like Daniel just said, the, the average pitch is 30 to 45 minutes total. That's not enough time to evaluate a, a you know, a, an index fund investment, let alone a private equity company. Um, so what happens after the show and how many do, do deals end up falling apart very often after the show when you actually start digging into the business? 
Well, I, in general, I mean, I'll tell you, it changes from year to year, but I'll give you a macro view. In general, about probably about 50% of the deals uh, close. And as the show goes on, the reason they don't close has changed. Meaning when the show first started, we had a very unsophisticated level of uh, entrepreneur. I'll never forget this famous story. There was a company we invested in uh, called Cord Buddy. Guy was a great guy, great entrepreneur. Uh, what was his name? Billy or Bobby from LA, baby, Laura, Alabama. And uh, my team reaches out to him and says, can you send us your financial statements? I'm not exaggerating. A box of receipts showed up. I mean, literally a box of receipts. And we're like, where's your income statement? Are you audited? And you're like, what, what's that? So we don't get that anymore. Now there's a process that Shark Tank vets a lot of those people. So you have to have that level of financial due diligence. And even though we may not get information beforehand, we do get a summary of the business after the fact. What's happening today is a lot of people are just, you know, they get excited, as Daniel said, they're out there, they're nervous, stuff's throwing at them, and they're like, okay, I'll do the deal. And then they go home that night, they wake up the next day and they're like, I just sold 98% of my business to Barbara. What, <laughs> what am I doing? And so people can change their mind. I mean, it's, it's not binding, it's, it's a verbal negotiation. But most of the deals are pretty true to what they are. What happens, Matt, is the, the way I've been taught by Robert and my uh, mentor sharks is you really are expected to close a deal unless what the entrepreneur represented in the tank is not accurate, which happens sometimes, or you discover in due diligence information that's very material that should have probably been disclosed that makes your investment really not warranted. Or as Robert mentioned, the entrepreneur tries to change and renegotiate the deal, which has happened a couple of times. And um, my first season, I think I was at 66% ratio. This season, I think I also was more or less two thirds that I closed. But it really is for me, because I'm a new shark and I'm a guest shark, for me, it's really important to try to close all my deals. But sometimes it just gets, it, it just very gets hard because um, the due diligence may uncover stuff where you're like, wow, this is a different risk profile from what I had committed to. Or the entrepreneurs, like Robert says, like, well, we really don't like the deal we negotiate. We want to change it. And for me, that bothers me a lot because I don't retrade. So I don't want people to retrade yeah. on me. A lot. So this question is, Daniel kind of inspired this question because ESG- so Matt, something, sorry, I want to clarify. Good. While Robert may be correct that it's 50, 60% of deals that close, that's from the deals that present at the tank, but the producers don't air all the deals. Like on average, let's say they film 120 pitches, but they only air 80 or 90 pitches. It varies by season. So of the deals that air, a much more significant portion actually did close because the producers really prioritize if deals don't, don't uh, get closed, particularly if the entrepreneur tried to retrade, they tend to not want to air those deals. Okay. 
It's a great point. That's a great point because I think the, the you know we we probably have more deals than we need to make the TV show, and we try to limit the people that are uh, obviously there just to take advantage of the show. Sure. So I wanted to ask Daniel about this in particular because um, your company is one of uh, kind was probably one of the most socially responsible businesses I've ever heard of. Um, so how important is you know ESG investing? How important is that when you're evaluating deals on Shark Tank or in general? In general, you know I I, I often explain this map. For me, the most important thing is like Robert alluded to, and I alluded to integrity authenticity, truth, genuineness. So nowadays there's so many companies that just slap the, I have a social mission because they think it's something you need to check the box on. And if it doesn't feel authentic, it actually turns me off. So if there is authenticity to a social mission, it turns me on a lot. Like I did a deal on Shark Tank with Yellow Leaf Hammocks. I love those guys and the product is amazing. And when Robert comes to my place, we have now hammocks all over and, um, but they really, that's why they started the business and you can sense it. And when they talk, they talk with so much passion. So when it's authentic, for me, it's a very added reason. And I, that was part of what drove me to invest in Yellow Leaf Hammocks. Also the fact that as a Mexican born American citizen, for me, I love hammocks and I find them magical. And I do think they have a, a lot of innovation and a lot of potential in their product, but the social mission was important. But second to that, I would rather invest in a company that doesn't proclaim to have a high social mission, but they act with integrity and how they do business is with good values, but they are very honest and authentic. And then last, I would probably not invest. And I remember a couple of pitches that I was with Robert on where people pitched themselves and Robert will know who I'm referring to if, if he thinks about it. There was a couple guys that came on board and they were not doing very well. So they started throwing out social mission claims and it just didn't feel right. And, and Robert caught it and he alluded to it. And really, you, you want to be authentic in whatever you do. I think that's the most important thing. But all things being equal for me, ESG is, is very valuable if it really is part of an authentic part of the persona. And like Robert said, if you really care about something more than just make money, you're probably going to have more staying power. It's not just that you want to invest in those entrepreneurs because they're trying to change the world is that they have a higher likelihood to succeed if they have a purpose beyond making money. Because when you get hit with challenges, as you always will as an entrepreneur, if you have an added reason to believe, you're likely to have more staying power. It's a great point, Daniel. I think think people, uh, you you said that so well, because that's what people misunderstand, you know, And, and it is the shark tank. It's not the guppy tank. I'm not investing in you because of your social mission or because you want to do good, or I don't need you to have integrity because I'm on a holier than thou plane. It goes to exactly what Daniel said. People with greater integrity have longer staying power because business is about overcoming objections and you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit every day. And eventually if your only purpose is got to make a buck, got to make it quickly, it's going to wear you down and you, you need people that are going to stick it through. That was really, really well said, Daniel. So just a a fun question real quick. Um, You guys have both made so many investments, both on Shark Tank and privately. 
what would you say is the number one all-time favorite company you've invested in? Not necessarily the most successful monetarily, but what has been the most the the company that you've been the most passionate about as an outside investor? Yeah, so we can't count kind. No, other other than your own businesses. Um, it's very hard to answer that. I mean, I, I I can try to answer by throwing out a name, but it's very hard because they're all your kids and you love them all. And also they're at different stages, but I'll just quickly say, I love this company called Elenos that makes, uh, their, their motto is the Greek yogurt that makes ice cream jealous. Cause it is normally, <laughs> you normally try Greek yogurt and it's like, eh, you know, it's good for me, but it, it's got two sour tones. This one is, you can't stop eating it. It is such an experience every mouthful. Like, I love their product and they remind me a lot of kind in terms of their potential. I think I've sent you some, Robert, if not, I will. And I can send some to It's my fantastic. Mind. Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, I mean, to Daniel's point, I love them all, but I would say tipsy elves from a shark tank perspective. You know, it was probably the first large investment I made in an area I didn't really understand. I mean, I think I was just going through this phase of how many more sweater and food companies are going to come on this show? And I just liked the guys. I, I thought they were good guys. I believed in what they were doing. And I love the product. And we've seen it all. Like that was a company that was almost on the verge of going away. We almost ran out of, they almost ran out of money uh, because of cash flow issues and inventory challenges. And now we're at over a hundred million dollars. I mean, it's but, it's the entire life cycle. But Robert Tipsy Alves is a fascinating thing. So I remember seeing the episode. I'm like, what is this guy thinking? Why is he making this? And it's turned out to be one of the best all-time investments. Like it gives me humility to to see that. I mean, that's an incredible, it turned out to be an incredible story. Was it the strength of the entrepreneurs or I think, Daniel, I was just having a moment where everything else I was, I was investing in stuff that I thought I understood. And I think it was part of my education and journey as an investor. I think I felt if I invested in something, I've got to really understand it to the point I could run that business. And that was probably a little bit of my own arrogance because I'm a very technical cybersecurity guy. And that was one of the I looked at them and they were selling $600,000 a year in inappropriate, ugly Christmas sweaters. And I didn't understand it, but I believed in them. And I realized it, it's okay if I don't understand it, if the fundamentals are strong and the entrepreneur is strong. And I kind of, like every investment, you get to a point, you either go forward or you don't. And I just went forward. And But since then, I've invested in quite a few um, lifestyle, like I would call the uh, the boards, a lifestyle type of leisure investment. We've done a number of those and done very well with them. So those are two of your, or some of your favorite investments you've made. I tend to think of humility as a very important quality for investors to have. In, in other words, learning from your mistakes. So what were some, what was for, from each of you, what was one of the worst investments you ever made and what did you learn from it? You want me to start, Robert? 
Um, well, I've never made a bad investment, Matt, so I don't really understand. I, I don't understand the context of this question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it goes back to um, I've had to learn to leave my um, humble, going back to your humility and humbleness and belief in the entrepreneur. And I think I come at the world from a very, very technical world that's highly complex. So very few people understand what I do. And I think that was a little bit my own filter and arrogance I applied. I felt like I needed to know other things as well as I know what I do every single day. And that's not true. And I think as an investor, my job is to support the mission of the entrepreneur and help guide them, not necessarily to operate their business. I'll tell you two, two thoughts on that, Matt. First, the investment that I've learned the most from that was bad was my mistakes, you know, and I love this company that I started right after law school called PeaceWorks to use business to bring neighbors together. And so in terms of social mission, it was incredible. In terms of greed, it was incredible. But in terms of wit, it was just not there. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was spread way too thin. And I was starting ventures in Indonesia between Muslim, Christian, and Buddhist women starting a line of sauces. And in Sri Lanka, and then in Chiapas, Mexico, and in South Africa, and in the Middle East. And our total sales were under $2 million with ventures all over the world. And, you know, in retrospect, I was a 26, 27-year-old that was in love with the social mission of using business as a force for bringing together, but was just having fun, traveling all over, doing things, and no discipline, no focus. So it taught me about focus and discipline. Um, from the outside, because that's not truly answering your question, those were my mistakes, but from the outside, the, the investments that I regret the most are when I get uh, friends to give me a Jewish guilt trip to or Mexican Jewish guilt trip to invest in them because come on, come on, come on. And I hate that. I just, <laughs> I, if I need to help a friend, I will. And that's a separate thing. I will help some, but I'm really trying to invest because it makes sense. And the ones that I regret is unlike Robert, I have not gotten to the comfort of going to places that I don't understand at all. And when I've gone so because a friend asked me to, almost always I'm like, eh, I, I knew, I knew in my gut that I didn't know what I was doing. And I wasn't excited about doing it, but I did it as a favor. And I think, you know, I want to help where I can to my friends and be there for them. But that comes from a different pocket that the investment uh, <laughs> discipline needs to come from. Well, it is 3.30. I think I have to let you guys go now. Um, I don't know how hard of a stop you have, but I imagine you guys have to be let go pretty soon. Um, I have so, a couple of minutes, but I'll defer to Robert. He's the, he's yeah. the big... Yeah, same. I got a couple of minutes. Sure. So last thing I wanted to ask, if um, and this shouldn't take very long, if you have one piece of advice you can give aspiring entrepreneurs out there listening to this show, what, what would it be? Do you want to go first, Robert? Um, sure. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, be great. Uh, you know, like, be great. I, uh, the world is such an incredible place. You can do so many. I mean, every day you wake up, 
is like a miracle. And the world is such a fascinating place and it can be so hard. Like if you're going to play the game, play it to be great. And I just think, go for it. Like people overthink it and they plan it and they be great. Do the things that make you excited. Live your life uh, like it's your only life because it is. I love I love what Robert said, and it reminds me of a piece of advice I got I once got, which is whatever you do, do it the best you can. And that's a very good piece of advice. My piece of advice would be talk to yourself and make sure you understand what gives you meaning. Because in today's day and age, we're so overwhelmed with devices and email and schmimail and texts and this and that. And you don't have time to have self-reflection. As a kid, I used to walk a couple miles uh, when I had to take the bus or something. And I was forced to just be with myself and talk with myself and think about stuff. Today, whenever I have a minute, I'm like checking my phone, I'm doing this. You need to, you need to find the time to reflect and to have conversations with yourself and understand what makes you tick, what gives you meaning. Because if you're able to understand what gives you that purpose, you're going to be far more likely to be invincible because you're going to pursue something for the right reasons, not just to make money, but because you really care about what you're doing. And it's just going to give you so much more staying power. Daniel, watch me now. <laughs> I was wondering the same. <laughs> is, that a, is that a new social platform I should be on? It's called Mexican Jewish Lingo. Uh, it's adapting from my dad's uh, lexicon. Well, Robert and Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. I think we all learned a lot and had a, it was a great conversation. So thank you guys so much. Thank, Thank you, Matt. Matt. Thank you, Robert. I love working with you. Thank you, Dan. Great to see you. All right. That'll do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MS, MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Robert Herjbeck and Daniel Lubitsky, I'm Matt Frankel. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.